Um, so the next one we're diving into is um, Des going to take us through. I kind of have your it's kind of an interesting batch of notes here that you got here, Des. But essentially, it's around the technology around MMORPGs. Do I have that kind of right? Yes. Generalized, generally speaking. Yes, okay. that's generally correct. Perfect. Okay. Well, Des, my friend, take it away. My so friend. here's here's the basic premise. Is I mean this this dovetails really well with what we've been talking about um in the podcast so far um and basically uh kind of pulling off of lex's discussion about the account and the ownership of the account um i think it was last week was that right two weeks ago two weeks ago um so you know mmos are is fundamentally uh a shared experience and one of the problems with mmos in general is that it requires a lot of content creation it requires um you know authentication it requires servers to be running it requires all these things to be working together and then once the 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 game makers have decided that they are done they shut the servers down and nobody can play that game again um, and so this is kind of like a, 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 a series where I want to explore a, a kind of a thought experiment of what would it be like, what technologies would have to exist to allow a community to, if not in, do the initial development of, but allow a community to support and sustain a game uh, that didn't that as long as there were people who wanted to play it, it would be able to keep running regardless of what the, the company who built it wanted to do. Interesting. A game well, I, I can think, think that, of. Oh, sorry, Lex. There's actually a partial answer. Of course they get shut down every time they do it, but all of those, uh, wow, uh, old style. Wow. Servers that pop up and have an old version of the game that we play. So people have tried this before, usually not legally much, but they're right. Trying. Not legally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm talking <laughs> about the, the legal version. And I'm also talking about like an, a sustainable ongoing, um, kind of, uh, development of the game. And so a game, I can I think, think of that. I was going to say a game I can think yeah, of that ahead. would be, um, right around this alley and a game. I know you've played like, well, you played the original, and I don't know, Des, if you played it too, but would it be in uh, Planetside 2? Like, Planetside 2, like, it's, I don't know how strong it's going necessarily, but that's a game I can think of that's, like, as old as Dirt itself. Like, it really is so old, and it's an MMORPG, but it has really futuristic tech in it to some degree. Like, it's it's weird because it can support, like, I don't even know, like hundreds of players on the same server. And this is like, this was tech that was beyond its age by many leagues. And now we have a scenario where it was handed off. I think it'd be interesting to do a story about this actually, but I think it was handed off by at least one or two companies. Like, so like, like a company like Daybreak or whoever it was like built the game. And now whoever is running the game now is a completely different company interesting i don't know if you guys knew uh, i i am not aware of that game actually oh yeah futuristic tech beyond like spatial os stuff 
uh like they were talking about spatial os and like how there's like four thousand players uh yeah planet side 2 had like hundreds of players on their uh servers so i think des i'll give you a thought on how i think it happens i actually don't think it happens quite the way you think i think it right now for example if you want to play valheim or you want to play a bunch of games where you, basically you buy hosted services. I think the long term of this is essentially vendors that are able to provide the underlying technology that have all the racks and processors and equipment and all of the bandwidth built in. And essentially that's what they have. They're they are a provider of all these capabilities because the games don't games need these capabilities, but they don't have to specialize in providing them. Right. That it's correct. Yes. And so I think there could be there's already for small scale for like home services, you know, 10, 20, 30 player servers that capability exists on a small scale already. And I think it's it's probably just a matter of scaling that up to provide a larger platform. And then essentially you have to have a funding model, but essentially you bought you pay a company that provides that technology and they work from probably a standardized technology platform. Well, and this is this, this kind of tech technology exists today. And, um, like, uh, for example, as a, as a very, very basic, uh, example, uh, Minecraft realms, it's like, okay. uh, eight I'm bucks actually a not month. familiar with them. Okay. Yeah. Minecraft realms. It's, it's like eight bucks a month and it's your own personal, uh, I think they host it in a container. It's a it's a Minecraft server, and you get three different worlds that they will save, and you can swap between them. But then you just log in, and you're you're on a Minecraft server. I, that's what I'm talking about for Valheim. I, I do exactly yep. the same thing for Valheim yep. servers. And whenever my friends and I want to play a game that's like a hosted thing, we don't host them on our own machines. We we go to a third party service and and buy a buy space and time. So but here's. But this is still this that situation still is dependent on. Um, it's fundamentally dependent on Microsoft, or whoever owns Valheim, uh, to build the entire game, build the content. So there is no that I'm aware of. There's no indie game for an in MMO. I have actually seen some very small scale MMOs that are basically like one guy in a garage. Yes. They do exist. So they do exist, but they're one guy in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess what I'm thinking of is so the, th the same thing that game engines, and this is really kind of what I wanted to talk about today is the game engines aspect of this. So game engines um, like Unity, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on Unreal, names. Lumberyard, Unreal, thank you. Snowdrop, yes, Crisis. <laughs> All of these game engines have allowed um, uh, indie developers, even large companies, to license these engines and just jumpstart their game development. Yeah, uh, and uh, to my knowledge, there's there's no kind of equivalent. Um, these game engines don't have built into them servers and they just have the ability to run a game, like all the networks and the servers and the communications back and forth and stuff that is all custom developed by your given company. Yeah. I, th I think that's just a problem uh, to market. a certain degree. Um, right. There's actually, uh, I don't know 
what is it? Um, there is, and I was doing research for this podcast for this. So I talked about scavengers. I talked about. Uh, I'm thinking of who it was that hired them. I think it was scavengers. So scavengers, the people, I think it was midwinter. I may be wrong on the stat, but on this fact, but um, they actually hired a third party company to do all the um, server work for them. Okay. So there's a company out there that like does all the server work, essentially. So I, I, go ahead. I think the problem is, is it's a market issue, right? I totally would argue that all, all of the technologies you're talking about today are available to paying customers who have the money to buy and produce them like you can there the components are already in oh, place oh you know what sorry guys sorry to interrupt uh it was uh it was Ometa, the guys behind the new paragon clone so they're an indie studio they they like Ometa is like as indie as it gets like they essentially their first game is the paragon clone predecessor and they outsourced all the server technology to a third-party company okay so there's an yeah, example I- I just, I, so the problem is like, if, if you watch, if you take the normal historical pattern for technology, right? It, it's the, at the beginning, it's sort of like early computers where everything is just independent, no standards, no nothing, right? Right. The, I mean, this happened in the railroad industry and every other industrial industry. Whereas like, if you want to, if you want to buy things for your house today, you go to Home Depot, right? It's like you can buy tons of things that are standardized for your house at Home Depot because there's a company that basically goes out to all the people that produce those things, puts them in a big packet and sells them to you. Right. That hasn't always been possible. There have been long periods of time in which, you know, if you wanted a house, I think the earliest you could do is Citizen Robux would sell you a house and like cinch all the parts like that existed. But the reality is, is that we just, I think we're just in an era where the thing you're talking about just isn't there. There's just not a commercial vendor that has gone out and provided these services do you see any i'll ask you did you see any technical barrier of the technology just not there or is this more a nobody's put it together and commercialized it well i mean the the technology is there obviously because there's as far as like the capability of running an mmo at this scale um is there because companies are doing it um, but my, my kind of, uh, my question is a lot of those companies though, it, it's a very complex process to run all of those servers and, you know, you could out, you could outsource that. Like you go run the servers on AWS, yeah. um, like you just pay them to run the servers. That's fine. Okay. Um, but I think there's something fundamentally like that is lacking in the 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 frameworks and the publicly available frameworks that we have that prevents like you have to get a large company that makes a ton of money off of these games that monetizes them uh pretty significantly in order to produce an MMO. I, I I think the problem is, you know, like I said in an earlier segment, everything comes down to money, kids. It's because privately owned, non-intellectual property, non-monetized properties 
run into you know, the problem of how are you going to pay for that community service? If I'm a, if I am a company trying to provide that service, do I believe that there are enough people that can buy my capabilities, right? So you either have to build it up for yourself, which means you have to bring in experts and build the whole thing yourself, which gets into a technical problem of you got to have a bunch of deses out there that can get it all set up. And those guys aren't cheap. So they're having to do it on their own money. Or you have to pay somebody and that somebody has to be comfortable that the market is big enough to supply that capability. And there's many, many things that are feasible, except for the fact that there's just nobody with enough money to go buy it or anyone that has the money is interested in it, right? So I think the thing you're talking about could be provided if there was enough of them for a third party with expertise to provide that at a dollar basis, or it comes down to having 10 of you does guys that this is what they do and yeah. they, they take their time. And the thing is, is there's a reason guys like you make a lot of money because that skill is valuable, hard to find, hard to replicate, hard to get enough of, and to have, for you to have enough hours in the day to go spend doing that. It's, it's easy to do that on a small scale. People could do that for small, simple things. The scale you're talking about requires considerable finances. And, you know, I, uh, I was a treasurer of a church years ago. I will tell you that when you're getting money through donations and your pastor isn't like the most popular guy in town, it can be very challenging to handle just doing anything because you have no budget. You have no consistent amount of money. You've got no guarantees that you could pay anything. You don't, you're relying upon the goodwill of others and other people don't always have money or it's very unstable. And as a provider of services, if I don't know if I want to provide to a community that I've got no stable income, like that's just risky. So I think those are the barriers. But the, so my question though, is that why, so we have game engines like unity. Um, yeah, but those, unity open source, but here's, yes, I think it is. Uh, I think so. Right. If, fairly, I, if I'm wrong, it, I may be wrong. I don't know if it's open source, but it's, uh, it's big. It's big, and it's used that's by a, a lot of people. A, used by a lot of people, and there is a there's a licensing model with it, like based on yeah, but personal bro, whatever. You're just talking about somebody who knows what a program can do. Hard the hardware side of the business is always more technically complex than the software side. Now that there've been there have been some times, and that's not strictly true, but hardware requires things you don't just teach people to do. You can't, I can't take you in a back room, sit in there for five months and teach you how to build hardware. I teach you how to code. I can teach you how to code in a couple of days, but, which, but I can't teach you to build hardware in a couple of days. I just can't do it. But what, what is, what is to stop? What's stopping us from being able to have basically marry a game engine with AWS. Uh, somebody, say, somebody here's your like, AWS game, game engine. So I think that, I think that just comes down to money frankly, just somebody will write that. I mean, you probably find somebody wrote some of that well, stuff already. I don't, you might want to do some looking into does. Have you looked into Lumberyard? Well, I've heard Lumberyard. that's, that's famous for the mess that made of Amazon's product. <laughs> I've been following that saga. Their new world. Was it new world? New world. On, yeah. Well, we're actually going to do a, we're actually going to do an episode about new that, world. Apparently the internal people said Lumberyard is 
they were not happy with it. Let's put it that way. Oh, I know lots about Lumberyard. Trust me on that one. Yeah, you should check into Lumberyard to see if it actually has some sort of marriage between AWS. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm just, familiar with it. Yeah, do some do some research into it. It it might. It might not. I um, I know a lot about it, but I actually don't know about the technology behind it, uh, in the sense of like server side stuff. I, I think the problem is I think people have done the problem on a smaller scale, which is why you have services you can buy this from it's the scale that it there's always that like you know the industrial scaling problem it, it's there's a reason why only the big companies do the really complicated setups because of the challenges when you scale to that size anybody like if, if follow the ftx gallery was like they were doing doing their business with quickbooks and the guy was like uh Nothing against QuickBooks, but you don't run a multi-billion-dollar company with QuickBooks, and that's that's the reality here, right? That a lot of the things that would work for smaller scale, hundred people, fifty people, become much more difficult when you've got to have a reliable full-time running system, thousands of players. So even though the technologies might be there, they're generally only used by high-end commercial industries that have no interest in open sourcing it, and not enough. Like if enough open source people got together on the weekend and wrote it, we would have it. I think it's completely doable, but there's not much market for it yet. Now it could be chicken and egg. It could just be when somebody makes it, the market appear that's been known to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's what I'm, I'm wondering is, so I, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying about the complexity at scale. Cause I mean, I, that's, I, I have, I'm working on systems that that's, they need to scale to thousands and thousands of people. Uh, it, it is a te very hard technical challenge to do that. But, um, at the, at the same time, unless you're doing something fundamentally new and a lot of this is not fundamentally new because there have been, we've had games that have been doing this for years and years and years and years. Um, so, but it, but I guess what you're saying is that this is more of a, a, a marketing, uh, a market problem, not a marketing, a market yeah, so, problem. So those engines came out of a natural progression of game development, right? Just, it turns out that if you're going to, it's easier to have some standardized ways of making games. And eventually people got around to building a standardized way of making games. Machine learning, I've seen, you know, AWS popular platform, you're seeing standardizations in technology all over the place. But what you're talking about is fundamentally new market. And I suspect all the pieces are there to some degree or another. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything about what you've talked about that's, that I haven't seen it work before. I mean, not for yeah, gaming it, context, but like, it's all there. You can yeah, do it's all, all there. Stuff. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, it just hasn't been put into a standard package. You can you can still custom build it. There's nothing to keep you from custom building, other than the fact that custom building requires expertise and a lot of yeah. Basically, custom building is a lot of money. Yeah, money and time and expertise. Yep. There just hasn't been the, those engines you're talking about were they weren't there for the first thirty years of the industry. They just weren't. You didn't start seeing standardization. I, I, to me, I think it was about the time Quake came out. You start, first started seeing like packages that other people could use. Uh, providing some standard capabilities because 
you know, software gets built first because it's, replication is just such a thing, right? Just build a library and just give it to people. So those things naturally appear. The underlying hardware doesn't standardize as quickly and does not standardize, and it is not as easy. The, the problem with software is you just copy it, you got a new one, right? You want hardware, you gotta go buy something. Physical stuff's gotta be put in place. And so that additional cost and complexity lowers the market. There's just not as much need for it. I certainly it's it's easier to just build an engine and see what people do with it than, you know, I, I will tell you the saddest story I've ever, like it, it, to this day, it, it makes me so sad. It's the saddest game show I've ever seen. There was a guy that uh, posted on Reddit years ago uh, about how he had, he'd spent, you know, years setting up a little uh, gaming store. He's like, you go in, you could play games, like basically what they have in Asia, but it was the United States. He was so proud of it. He showed all his pictures of it. And this is like three months before COVID. Oh boy. And, and, and first of all, the idea was marginal to begin with. I find right, like, right. this is not, not a good idea, but I'm like, he could not have possibly succeeded after COVID. And, and you could tell he really put his heart into it. I, 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 I bleed for this guy. Like it's, it's, I still to this day, it's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard in gaming. It just, it makes me sad because when people's passions fail, it just, it hurts me. And it's just one of those things where sometimes, you know, you, pieces just don't come together right it's like you the complexity of getting all that hardware together all that equipment together renting the space opening the building that's a lot harder than oh here's a plat here's a tool you can use to make your game and maybe your friends will like it like the demand yeah. is so much higher because he had to buy physical space he had to put stuff in stuff that's where all the risk came in right he couldn't just you couldn't just do that on a weekend with him and three buddies Whereas with something like Unity Engine, you can train yourself, you can teach yourself, you can use it, you can come up with an idea. If the idea sucks, you don't sell it to anybody, you can quit at any point. But once you start investing in hardware and equipment, you just can't do it. Like you now, now you've got capital investments, you've got resources, you've got contracts. Problem is so. So I actually, you know, it's interesting. Um, as you're talking about this, I'm I'm realizing that part of the problem here is, so uh, Unity. Um, Unreal, like all these major game engines that actually you can build like high quality production ready games on top of came out of people who built games that then turned the core of that game into an engine yep. and open sourced it or sold it or whatever. Um, and that has not happened with like people don't do the same thing with their server technology. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. And there's probably no financial incentive for them to do that because there is a financial incentive for them to do that with the game engine, like the, the actual the uh, building more games on Unreal helps the owners of Unreal Engine produce better games. That I used to have, a, I had a boss years ago yeah. that asked, why would anybody use open source? It, and he was a very rational question. He was a smart man. He ran a business and he was really dodgy about it. It was like, why would people do this for free? And it turns out that the technology stack has turned out to be open source for really good reasons that have that to the point where large corporations take advantage of open source all of the time and contribute to it and provide it, even though there's no financial benefit to doing so because there's other advantages. Not sure that that applies to hardware. Well, and I don't even think it's necessarily the hardware that's the issue here. I think that's a big part of it though. The hardware, 
because you can go buy the hardware now. Just yeah, on but, AWS. But then you have to put it all together. Or, yeah. Yes, yeah. but then then it's a matter of spending the money, right? Yep. And the thing is, is that the advantage of the little guy in the corner who's always underfunded and really shouldn't be doing it anyway, is that he just does it, and doesn't matter if he succeeds or not. It's different when you start making capital invest. The problem here is you start making hardware as a capital investment. Yeah. You got to put money up front. You yep. got to buy it. Now you're committed. You do something. And some indie developer who just wants to experiment and build a game on top of Unity. Hmm. And that's there's no capital investment there. There's You download Unity and you start playing around with it on yeah. your machine that you already own. And so there's a natural market for people that will use it. I'm not saying there's not a market for what you're talking about. I'm just saying the market is not easy to define or to monetize or to build, right? And there's no easy way for three guys in a garage to do it either. So it just doesn't get built. Like there's nobody there to provide the capabilities because there's no market to sell it yet. And there's no hobbyist thing out there to do it. You have to have kind of one of the two. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. It's a theory, mind you, but that's just kind of where I suspect we're at. I wonder, I do wonder if we'll ever get there though. I'm actually optimistic because it's just a scaling of existing ideas. I, I the reality is, is that I think PP that scaling doesn't always happen. Like there's still plenty of things which have a commercial version that's big and a retail version, which is small. Like that's very common. But the idea of I want my game to scale to more people, that doesn't seem like crazy out there to me. Like that seems like a natural progression of going from 100 people. If it happened with massive multiplayer onlines. The first online games I played were 30 or 40 people, and then they scaled it up to several thousand. They, they went through that process. Now, it cost a whole lot more money, which made it high barriers to, high barriers to entry, but they eventually did it. There's also a, a a social barrier in that if you build a game that depends on multiple people to play it effectively, then you have to have multiple people who buy into it before it becomes worthwhile to spend money on. Yeah. I, I think the reason why what we generally see are like large scale, like the, the wow ones, there was already a community of people that wanted to play it, right? right. It was illegal to do it. But they knew that if they did, there'd be a whole bunch of people that would do it because they, are, they, they already wanted it. The demand was already there. And so it's easier to justify the underlying expense. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then of course, get taken down by a couple of yeah, yeah, they get shut down. But... <laughs> which, is, which, I mean, I totally get. I mean, like, it, you know, it's like, look, you're, you literally just took our intellectual property and just copied it without a permission. You can't really <laughs> let that stand. Yeah. It's kind of a problem. I mean, even if I'm not, you know, even if you don't really like corporations and the way they approach things, you, would you want somebody to take your stuff and not pay you for it? I mean, really? Like, is that something you want to encourage? Most people would say that's bad. Yeah. So, you know, it, in a sense, I mean, I, I understand why people do it, but... But the problem is if you just want to make a general game, right? If, if I want to have this really cool game and there's no market for it, no one's ever played it, and it's going to require thousands of people and we're going to have to put up a whole bunch of money and build it. Yeah. Well, even sure. at the level of, I want to build a multiplayer version of FTL. You have to, um, if you can get the rights to it, maybe you'd have some demand. 
and right. then and it might it might might make sense. Well, maybe I want to build my own version of FTL from the ground up. Like on, uh, I'm gonna build it on Unity. I I don't know why you would necessarily build FTL on Unity, but yeah. anyway, like some some FTL like thing. Maybe a 3D version of FTL. Um, where have, FTL is just an example. We could pick just up. just an example. Whatever. Yeah, you get what I'm saying though. And then, uh, but I want to make it multiplayer, massively multiplayer online, where people are collaborating. There's m- multiple ships running around in this world, and blah 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 blah. Are you and, talking about prosperous universe? <laughs> well, prosperous universe is supported by somebody, but yeah, yes. Which, by the way, changes. I think that's the real thing that the problem does is dealing with. There are companies that have solved this problem in a commercial way. Yes, but private individuals building out of their own time and resources, it's it's just hard. Like, yeah, it communities do it because they get together and they fund it. Like, how do communities do stuff? You know, the old bake sales and stuff, where it's like, oh, we need some money, <laughs> let's go. That, that's people joke about it, but if you really look at small hard communities with limited sense. resources, the thing is, is that you you have to get money, like charity. So having done the charity, you know, the charitable, the five hundred one c three a right? The whole like charitable church kind of deal. You, you start realizing just how much you need cash and how difficult it can be to get the cash. And what you have, and that's in a situation where you've already got a, basically a, you know, interested audience, just getting people to donate money to the cause is incredibly hard. I've been there. I've been on the side of that. Most people will not give you a dime. And maybe what we, maybe what we need is the for the first step is because it requires less investment, uh, is a small, small sized multiplayer yeah. online game, SMO. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, I think those SMO. are already there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think the thing that, that I learned from that experience was when something has ongoing costs and no way to bring that money in, you've got a real problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a bigger challenge than it looks like. I mean, people always talk about those really rich churches. Well, most charities in the United States, the charitable institutions of one type or another, are poorly funded. Yeah, most of them can't do anything. Can't do anything. They have to they have to do bake sales and try to come up with ways yeah. to fund things. It's just it's a constant, never ending cycle of just even getting enough money to keep the lights on. That's that's a reality for. You know, just almost any like social institutions that that either that don't have you know specific funding sources, it's hard to keep those things in operation because you've hit on several problems. One, you have to have you have to have some leadership, and since nobody's getting paid, finding a leader is difficult. There's no CEO around to run the things. So you got to find somebody who's going to lead, and they're going to get paid nothing to do it, and they're going to get all the crap that comes from being the leader of that type of organization everybody's complaining nobody says anything nice and you're not getting paid for it so you have a leadership you have a leadership issue you have a funding issue and the problem is funding a game you're not going to get billionaires to you throw money away on things are you sure have you seen dream world (laughs) yeah Yeah, but that was supposed to make money right but uh, dream world's (laughs) funny the point is you can no you can get rich people to give money to charities but they've got to be the kind of things that one they can get tax write-offs on and two, they can get their kids with high dollar salaries on and basically bypass gift taxes, which is a whole another topic of why charities are bad in so many ways. But or the, you can get them to throw 
large amounts of money after something that's supposed to make them money in the future. Yeah, you got to name a building after them, or you got to yeah, get like yeah. you, there's this. The thing is to get large large donations from people that keep things operating. You have to have you have to have a reason to do that. There's to be some benefit to them, even if it's just charitable. If you're trying to live on five dollar donations, it's going to be a long hard day. Yeah. And, and so now you've got an organizational problem. You've got a technology, expensive technology problem. You got to keep an active community. Just so many reasons why this idea is sounds good in theory, but just is really hard to do in practice. That has very little to do with the technological barriers. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a dream that I have. No, it's a good <laughs> maybe, dream. And maybe someday. <laughs> Now the funny thing is, it's is that dream. these i these ideas are not new, right? I mean the, right. the whole no. the whole Ready Player One thing, like what's the whole story from the movie of Ready Player One? I haven't read the book. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the guy sort of is is a little idea. He's gonna make it. He's gonna make an approach for everybody. He's not gonna monetize the hell out of it. And it's gonna be this wonderful world we can all participate in. And the big bad corporation wants to come in and monetize it, right? Yep. It's it's easy when a corporation or an institution can see a profit or a benefit to doing it. It becomes totally just a, am I going to make money on it kind of deal. If it's purely just a weekend project and a labor of love, you have a whole bunch of unique problems that get harder when the costs go up. That's, yeah. not, to, that's not to say these things can't be successful. There are plenty of successful ones, but you end up having to charge dues or you end up having to run a whole bunch of, uh, you end up having to sell stuff internally. You have, to, you have to do something to generate cash. Even if it's not for profit, you just have to get the money in some way. Otherwise you just can't afford the ongoing costs. And that, that barrier is quite large in practice, larger than, than it looks like. And I think that's so much of the problem. And of course, if I'm if I'm a lender or if I'm an institution that wants to provide that service, so let's say I want to provide a I want to provide all these capabilities. Do I have a market of people that are going to be able to reliably pay me? Right. Right. Yeah, I think I think the reliability of payment is a huge issue here. Because yeah. yeah. you you might get somebody that that does, you know, pays for the game for a month. That pays for one server for a month or whatever, but then yeah. you you have to have the ability uh, to sustain it. Yeah, if they don't pay, then you shut them down and you find somebody else who does, and you just have a certain number of people and you have churn. Yep. And you you just have a you have a scalable business. You sell to a certain number of people. You lose a certain number of people every month. You get new people. You have a cash flow. You have a fairly standardized problem. That's very doable on a retail level. Just standard. Just sell to a bunch of private individuals. A small service. But when you start getting into that industrial grade stuff, now you're getting the specialist market. You got to have a much smaller base of people you can sell to, and they have to pay you a lot more money at once, and you're on the hook for a lot more expenses. Problem is just difficult to solve. All right. Well, I think that's probably about the extent of that conversation. But I think we'll, I'm going to explore some different kind of takes on that probably in a future weeks maybe not next week but in in future weeks and i'll just keep telling you it's all about money and have yeah a great conversation well, i think back. that's going to be a running theme right yeah. Yeah. all about money kids <laughs> all about money kids well thanks des that was a fantastic topic and thanks everyone for listening to our esoteric dive into the world of gaming this week uh you've been listening to pair 
Des, and Lex. And if you have any feedback or would like to recommend a topic for one of us to discuss, head over to our Discord, which will be, uh, there will be a link in the description of this podcast. If you would like to discuss what we discussed this week or have any suggestions for future topics, you can head over to the Water Cooler channel where all that juicy exposition happens. If you enjoyed our podcast, also please make sure to leave a five-star review on Spotify or write a review on iTunes. And more importantly, share this podcast with your friends. Well, once again, thanks everyone. And remember, take your hand, grip it firmly around your wallet, and hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs>